Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We have watched episodes two and three of The Faceless Ones. That's right. Uh, one non-existing, mm-hmm. but reconstructed in a decent way. And another one that is existing, but also was reconstructed in a decent way. I wondered about that. There were definitely moments where it looked like the picture suddenly got grainier and the 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 picture looked more of a close-up than I expected it to be. And it seemed a little bit janky. Uh, what's the deal there? It, uh, the, the film... Uh, reel on which episode three exists has a lot of damage along the side of it I think it was mm-hmm. and so for certain parts there they were it was n- like basically on un- there's huge jumps yeah. basically and so they had to essentially zoom in a little bit uh-huh. on the part of the screen that was mm-hmm. not affected for those scenes so they did their best with a very very rickety um reel of film mm-hmm. no i mean I'm, it's still it's still fine like i was it was noticeable to somebody like me i don't know that necessarily everybody would but uh, that makes perfect sense i guess that's kind of what i would have guessed because like i said suddenly it looks zoomed in that that would be why yeah i think this one was episode one I, i've done some reading up episode one i think uh existed in the archives already but episode three was founded like a car boot sale or something in 87 or 88 like some collector had this for uh 20 odd years so that's that's why perhaps it wasn't in the best condition i still remember the first time i heard the phrase car boot sale and i was like why would you buy boots in a car like is this a drive-through for a shoe store now i understand Many years. I, I thought the same thing back when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so we have two episodes to cover. Uh, where, where do you want to start? Samantha's hat. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's um, it's kind of awful. I really think it's a terrible hat. It's it looks it looks like I, I don't know. It's very architectural. It's very strange. I, I she doesn't wear it in episode three. So it only exists in telesnap form in episode two, which means we can't find out how it is actually attached to her head because it feels like it's just floating, floating or like augmented somehow or like digitally inserted. It's, it's so weird because it's sitting so <clears throat> so high atop her head. Yeah. And it's very, the brim is just hard and flat like a plate mm-hmm. and the rest of it is, I don't know, it's like somebody went in the kitchen and was like, okay, what can I make a hat out of? I'm going to take a white, super flat dinner plate and uh, a a white bunt cake pan that's <laughs> yep. just like exactly you know straight around the sides and just flip that upside down and put it on some girl's head and then make her talk in a Liverpudlian accent, maybe. It is. It looks like um, a thing out of which you make hats. <laughs> ah, yes. That she's that she's wearing. That's what I think. Um, but yeah, uh, that is Pauline Collins in the role of um, Samantha Briggs. Oh, who? <laughs> yeah, I know Pauline. She uh, well, she, a she would later find fame in the UK in the 1980s for a, a one-woman play called Shirley Valentine. After which they made a uh, movie version of in 1986. I think it was. She was nominated for Best Actress in the Oscars. Fraser Hines tells anecdotes about her all the time about she has won Academy Awards but no she was only nominated um, but she would later appear in Doctor Who in 2006 in Tooth and Claw as Queen Victoria ah okay so that explains why the name sounded familiar mm. but yeah I didn't obviously I didn't recognize her 
from that since I've only seen Tooth and Claw a couple times. But mm, yeah, yeah. is she really from Liverpool? Because all right, I no, I'm shaking my head no because I I had to check. I because I I watch a lot of British television, but I still would not say I'm an expert on on accents from the Uh UK. And uh, but I feel like I I've heard a decent number of people who are legitimately from Liverpool and her accent did not sound authentic. And I mean, maybe I've just heard a lot of fake Liverpoolian accents. Um, So I don't know. British people tell me if that was a good accent or a poorly done accent, because I want to know if I have like developed an ear well enough to be able to call out a fake or if I just don't know what I'm talking about because I'm a nasty colonial. You are a nasty colonial. That is true. It did seem very um, put on, very over overtly Liverpudlian. It didn't sound relaxed at no. all. It sounded like she was trying very hard, which is just that's why I thought it sounded fake. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I don't know. It. I just find it interesting that uh, someone who's sort of taking a prominent role in this, you know, is expressly from Liverpool with a non-received pronunciation accent. When just a year prior, they were like saying to, you know, Dodo, for instance, no, 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 you can't be speaking with your your Cockney accent. You must speak the Queen's English on television. So in the course of a year, um, the BBC's attitudes towards um, accents have clearly changed. Well, a bit. I mean, she's while she sort of is acting as a pseudo companion in this in in these episodes, um, she's not. A companion. She's not a regular. And I think for the the story, it's somewhat required that she's from far away. So one way or the other, she's going to have a, a, a different accent because part of the, the deal is I came all the way here mm-hmm. in order to, you know, figure out what's happening with my brother. I've got nothing else to do. So I'm just going to sit around and wait because I'm not from here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, I think that that's that's a part of it could be so maybe they let her get away with that because there was sort of a narrative reason for it see this is where it's tough when you haven't seen the story Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) seeing that she hasn't as you've never heard of her Mm -hmm. have you ever heard of her before the actress yeah uh the companion samantha briggs samantha no i don't think so no were they trying her out to be a companion yes um this haven't seen the episode before <laughs> we can talk about it later no i know but i if it is more because yeah they were sort of like test driving they they were basically offering the, her the part as a new companion um but i think by the time that they had cast and started i don't know if they had started shooting it mm-hmm. or what but they but she had turned it down um because she did want to be pigeonholed or she doesn't have time or didn't wasn't interested in any rate so so yes she is so the fact that she's taking such a prominent role is not a mistake she was sort of being groomed as a new companion it really it reads that way like it very much it very much seems like it um i wonder like i mean they also had dodo start off with a completely different accent so it's possible that she would have started off this way Mm -hmm. and still would have ended up speaking rp in you know five more episodes so who knows who knows? Yeah. Um, what do you, you think about uh, about Ben and Polly and, and vessels? But they weren't even in episode Ooh. three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I miss Ben and Polly. As actually, as a matter of fact, seeing Samantha Briggs cozying up to Jamie and you know very sort of clearly being put in center stage made me miss Ben and Polly so much. I was like, this woman. You know, she's 
she's fine, I guess, but she just does not compare. She is this usurper. <laughs> you are no Polly, um, and and yeah, no no Ben, no Polly. It's uh, I've I miss them actually a lot. So it it was it was fun uh, in episode two to watch or hear. Uh, Annika Wills being somebody else and mm. then you know when uh, we saw her in the box I was just like <gasps> I actually gasped out loud Polly um, so yeah I feel like the episodes without them are lesser for it yeah mm. um, what else do you want to talk about oh Bernard Kay's in this now um, as Inspector Crossan, they said, oh, who's he? Because you recognized him before. I recognize him, his name in the credits. Mm. And I mean, I guess the guy I kind of recognize. I, where am I? I'm, you said I've seen him before in Doctor Who. I don't remember. He was in uh, in Blackface in um, uh, The Crusade as Saladin. Good performance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the Blackface would be why I didn't recognize him. And I may block that out a little bit. Yeah. He was also um, played Tyler in um the dalek invasion of earth he's sort of one of the few, do you remember him he's sort of the the rebel who like doesn't have time for friends and sort of like um <laughs> runs around i think he leads someone around i can't remember i'm getting the, i'm getting the movie version mixed up with the tv version now but uh but he was in that and he'll later be in doctor who again uh in the 70s but um but yeah he's a he's a noted uh actor uh who goes on to a quite a hefty career after this I'm, I suspect I have seen him in plenty of other things outside of Doctor Who then as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Um, let's see. There's um, shenanigans afoot on airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I do like seeing the Doctor finally be clever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe this sort of like... I, I had trouble with him wanting to go to the authorities and thinking for a moment that the authorities could be brought to, to heal to believe him. But they do like he's given the free run of the airport so i need to eat my words a little bit from the previous episode he's he's the doctor and he figured it out i mean yeah he needed a dude from scotland yard to mm-hmm. get him in the door but that it happened and there he is and watching the poor commandant just like mr put upon british british dude yep. uh just dealing with all of that was was pretty funny and then uh the doctor um you know, taking off his coat and covering the camera and plugging up the the vent and putting on the ruse so the guy would come out and he could you know get him an escape and and the idea that 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 little trick is what the what the other guy says means the he's what is it much smarter than than the rest of the humans or something oh, much smarter than other beings <laughs> yeah right wow okay well i guess the uh the bar for these faceless ones is pretty low <laughs> yep uh, but still, it was fun to see the doctor doing that. His his trick with the the ice pen thing to get the double guy to run away with mm-hmm. a frozen teacup. Um, his his uh, I don't want to say smugness because he's not quite smug, but sort of like the see, I told you so. Thank you. Now you're listening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moment at the very uh, beginning of episode three. Slash end of episode two. Slash end of episode two, where he gets trapped in the room and turns around and just does one of those great big like rat sort of things, like taking his arm from like up above and like slapping it down on his yeah. thigh. It was just very big sort of stagey motion uh, that just screamed Second Doctor to me. Mm-hmm. This also feels very much like the first proper Doctor and Jamie episode. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I think mostly because Fraser Hines hadn't really been written into many scripts, Macaterror a little more, mm-hmm. 
I think, but this really feels like, you know, Jamie's front and center and he and the doctor are sort of a proper team now. Yeah, and actually they're doing a very nice job with the doctor and Jamie in terms of having the doctor explain things to Jamie because, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know how many people in Britain at this time would know what a chameleon is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the Culture Club song had not even hit it big at that point, which yeah. is where I learned about a chameleon. For 15 years. <laughs> so, um, like... That's where I learned what a chameleon was. And uh, so so maybe he was just explaining that to Jamie because certainly uh, a dude from, from his time in Scotland probably wouldn't know what a chameleon is. And, and there were a couple of other things that he sort of asked about that made sense, but it didn't seem to slow the plot down. It was just mm. a nice experience watching the two of them interact and the doctor explain something to Jamie. That was yeah, good. Yeah, like like he doesn't know what a budget tour is. Yes, that's right. That's another word. I was just like, awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I, I like how he's, uh, you know, uh, he's wandering around the airport, like going, whoa. Because, you know, when you think about it, yeah. like Jamie's been to a moon base, sure, with like 20 people around him. He's been to Atlantis with like a bunch of people running around caves in the macro, you know, in that world. But this is his first proper big giant future mm-hmm. base version of earth that mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool for him to sort of react like that yeah because it's like you know when you're on the moon you're on the freaking moon like mm. that's the big deal and when you're in atlantis you're under the sea and that's that's the big deal and when you're on another planet same thing like here he's just in the future <clears throat> yeah. and this is this is his planet these are his his people his fellow humans running around and doing stuff in a completely different different way so that was that was really cool to to sort of see him experiencing that and you know and it wasn't like he was overwhelmed by it mm-hmm. he was he was awed by it certainly and uh and yeah it was nice good job Fraser Hines yeah it's it almost makes it more you know it's more relevant to him because he knows that he's on his the planet that he comes from obviously and so but now he sees it in a different light as opposed to an entirely alien environment which is completely alien he has nothing to compare it to exactly yeah uh what else in this uh in these two episodes um planes air flight attendants um ray guns freeze rays everybody disappeared Everybody disappeared at the end of episode three. All the young people. They're they're kidnapping young people, 1825. All the young dudes. <laughs> and dudettes. Yes. I almost made a, with my freeze ray, I will stop the world joke, but you wouldn't have gotten that anyway. No, but I will say that David Bowie actually did write all the young dudes based on his experiences watching this episode. You are lying. I am 100% lying. <laughs> David Bowie was two years away from... Uh, his first album, I think, at this point, '69. I think his first album came out. Something like that. Yeah, that's a neighborhood. I don't know. Nicholas Pegg would know. He would know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I feel like we're getting giving the short shrift, but I don't want to talk about like things that happen future. Actually, I don't remember a lot of what happens in the story after this. So, like watching it um, again will be kind of like watching it for the first time for me for the last three episodes of this thing. So that's exciting. I'm still really, really enjoying watching this and not knowing what's going to happen. I feel like I just—it's fun. It's—it's it's cooking along. I have not found myself bored at any point. Yay! Yeah, which you know, I don't can't always say that uh, for for Doctor Who of any era. Um, I'm just—I'm interested in what's happening. I, yeah, it's just good. It's all of the all of the twists and turns that the story has taken so far have felt earned. 
I guess. Like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing has felt like it was just in there for padding. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe some of it is, but it didn't, <laughs> it didn't come off that way right. uh, to me as a viewer. So I'm, I'm all, uh, I'm all thumbs up so far. Whatever it's a Malcolm Hulk thing, because um, I've never found any of his stories in Doctor Who, be it six or seven parters or ten with the war games, to be dragging episodes. But you know, he perhaps he's the key ingredient in making longer stories sort of flow and go to different places even though they've they've only just hung around the airport so far and you know it's more or less taking place in the same two or three locations but it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem to be a runaround or a bunch of useless stuff or or dragging at any point doesn't no the characters are doing things that make sense you know and they're adding in characters which which helps you know each character has to ask their own questions and get up to speed on the plot and it probably doesn't hurt that I really like airports, so yes. <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty excited just to see things happening in an airport. Uh, you know, back in these days, you said the war games. Malcolm Hunk did the war games. Yeah, he and Terrence Dix co-wrote the war games. Uh, I for- I had forgotten that. I knew Terrence Dix. I had forgotten the Mac Hulk piece of it. So maybe that maybe that is it. I mean, it's just it seems to be a really a smart way to take care that you know the people who are doing things are doing things for for good reasons. I mean, you know. It, yeah, these faceless one guys maybe don't seem like they're the smartest, but which, what Doctor Who villains are the smartest mm-hmm. consistently throughout the entirety of a of a story? I mean, this is this is not above and beyond what I would expect. So we're we're still good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think actually Malcolm Hulk's next contribution to Doctor Who is the War Games because he's a friend of uh, Terrence Dix. So so this could have could have seemed like a one off. Although he did actually submit a story idea called the Hidden Planet which was going to be one of the first stories ever in Doctor Who back in 1963 but it wasn't uh, it wasn't taken up so this is and this this the first draft of this story I think was um, going to be something called the big store was the working title it was gonna, instead of an airport it was a department store oh. that the chameleons took over and and but uh, but Innis Lloyd who was on his way out by the way as producer of Doctor Who he and Jerry Davis are are um, are gradually moving out at this point I don't know if you noticed uh, one Peter Bryant's name in the credits yep. as what associate produ- I can't remember what his title was but something producer or just producer but yeah. it definitely had producer yeah he is uh, he's sort of been He's being groomed to replace them as, uh, or at least as producer, I think. And then they'll they'll work on getting a script editor over the next uh, next few weeks. But yeah, change is afoot again for Doctor Who. Wow. Yeah. Just crazy times. Yeah. Very exciting times, the uh, the late... And of course, they're still working about a week out from broadcast, so as they will do until the end of, of season four. So what an interesting time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very. Mm-hmm. Anything else about these two episodes? I don't think so. It was it was fun. Yeah. I mean, even even the one that didn't move, mm-hmm. it, it still moved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It figuratively, not mm-hmm. literally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the next one we'll watch episode four at least mm-hmm. of the faceless ones. Goodbye. Goodbye.